Good morning, everyone. As we gather this morning, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of the song. is my beginning the line drawn in the sand the end of all my striving now I am born again there Jesus was forsaken never be His grace is my salvation the gift of God the work of Calvary It is done It is finished Christ has won He is risen Grace is here His mercy is complete His love is not in question The Son of God has spoken over me It is done, it is finished Christ has won
Well, good morning, Fusion, once again. We're so glad to those of you who are here in this space, as well as those of you connecting online, welcome. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 33. Sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship along with us. Now, this song is actually a little bit new, so we're going to be starting on the chorus and invite you to join in when you feel comfortable. You make, you make mountains move. You make giants fall. You use songs of praise to shake prison walls. My fear, I will preach to my doubt. You were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. I am holding on to faith. I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand And I don't always get to see I will speak to my fear, I will preach to my 
Amen. It's great to hear the singing and actually see some faces. I'm not going to lie. At this time, um, kids three years old through preschool are invited to go to worship downstairs. Um, Janice, are, are you the teacher? Okay, you can look for Miss Janice back there if you need help. Kids who are staying in the room, in that entryway there are some binders with some activities and some things for you to do, and you're welcome to grab one of those at any point if you would like one of those. Will you join me in prayer? using the words of Psalm 34 this morning. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor one called, and the Lord heard. He saved me out of all of my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. And God, may it be true of us this morning that we always have your praise on our lips and in our hearts, and in our minds. We praise you for your constant protection, care, goodness, the amazing ways that you love us, your children. Thank you for the blessing of being able to worship together in person or through live stream this morning. Thank you that we can be joined as one body, praising you and worshiping you together. It is a privilege, and we are grateful, God. We pray for our other communities on campus this morning that your word has gone and will go out and be preached and sung and shared through your servants there. And we thank you for the leadership within our own community, for Pastor JB and Sarah and all the volunteers who make this happen week to week. Um, God, we are blessed and we just lift it all up to you as an offering. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ wherever there is persecution, punishment, or hardship for those who choose Jesus this morning. Grant protection for them. Open their minds and their hearts to you, and may your spirit move mightily across the world, drawing more and more to you. And may each of us in some way be a reflection of you to those around us here, so we too may draw others to you and to your salvation. We pray, Father, for those in our communities at Heart Awake who are struggling with sickness or loss due to COVID, to cancer, to heart issues and complications related to these. Mighty healer, you know who needs you in a desperate way this morning. We call on you to boldly move today and heal those we care about. We trust you and we praise you for what you have already begun doing and what you will do. In the name of Jesus, may it be so. And may all the glory be yours. Spirit, move through this place even now as we hear your word and as you, as you speak through Pastor J.B., And we pray all of this in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, Fusion family, community. I got to sneak through here. Thanks, Chris. Was it Chris or? All right. I got got one good morning. Let me try it again. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hey, just a few uh, quick announcements um, before we jump into God's word. There is a silent auction 
for Neighbors Plus in the library today um, and next week. And so check that out. And then in a week from Wednesday, we have a community night where we're doing some s'mores. And I believe that's a fundraiser as well. I'm, I'm learning all of these things as we go. Um, and then the final thing is, obviously this week, some, some news came out from the CDC. Just know we're, we're navigating this and we continue to navigate this. And leadership is trying to figure out how to do this and what to do. The best thing we can do is be patient and gracious with one another because how we navigate uh, probably says more and is more important than what we do, right? So let's just be gracious and understanding with one another as we move forward in all this because we're all going to the same place. We all want to be at the same end game. All right. Also, one last thing. Uh, Lori put together those binders. They are phenomenal. And I noticed right in the front page, if you're working on those, there's a, what does my pastor look like? Um, And you get to draw, okay? Uh, You can send those to me. You know, like send a snapshot, like I won't be offended, it'll brighten my day. So if your young one draws a little picture, feel free to email that to me at jb at Hardaway. Anyway, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter six. We have a lot of ground to cover. Oh, one other announcement. I can't even get, okay. The books. Some of you grabbed the Celebration of Disciplines books last week without even an announcement. There's a couple more back there. Uh, that is the resource we're going to use to kind of enter in and engage with some of the this spiritual disciplines uh, of the Christian faith. So check those out. Janice has got them there. So if you're interested, if you need more, we can get more. All right. Now open your Bibles as we enter into Acts chapter 6. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. We've been journeying through Acts. I've been enjoying it. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. Uh, We're covering two chapters, chapter 6 and 7. This was cool. Last week, across campus, all three services focused on Ananias and Sapphira. Um, But what we didn't touch on as much is after the testimony account of Ananias and Sapphira, there's this resistance that continues. A couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at that. It continues to grow. Uh, Peter and John are arrested again. They're miraculously released from prison. Uh, and today, we get to Acts chapter 6 and 7, and really that resistance has reached its boiling point. And we have the first Christian martyr in Stephen. And uh, here's my hope this morning. What I want to do is take kind of this high-level walk journey through these two chapters, drawing on two themes. They're up on the screen. Opposition and faithfulness. Opposition and faithfulness. And here's the basic question. What does faithfulness look like in the face of opposition? Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all 75 verses in these two chapters of Acts. Instead, we're going to read what happens immediately prior to and immediately after Stephen gives this long, beautiful, brilliant speech. We're going to try to sum that up, but there's a lot to cover, so it's going to be kind of a high view. And of course, through it all, trying to see where God's word has lessons uh, and things we can glean for our life today. Sound good? Well, that's what I have prepared, so I hope, I hope that sounds good. That's what we're going to do. So uh, if you would, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Acts chapter 6. Again, we're not going to be reading the first seven verses. This is when the early church, there's a conflict that arises about the care of the widows in the community, uh, specifically Greek-speaking uh, widows, and they appoint the first deacons in the church, Stephen being one of them. So we will draw on that. Uh, but now we enter into the testimony of Stephen in verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, 
performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the Sanhedrin questioned and asked this direct question, are these charges true? And Stephen goes on to respond, and we'll talk a little bit about that. At the end of this brilliant recounting of Israel's history, he makes some pretty hard accusations, and we'll talk about that. And then we get to the Sanhedrin's response, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen heaven open. I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your, your word, your scriptures, your holy scriptures include stories and accounts and testimonies, Lord, of things that are, are easy to receive in some ways, but yet so many accounts of things that are difficult to read and to imagine. And yet, Lord, it's reflective of life because life is filled with joyful things and life is filled, as we know, with difficult and impossible things. And so, Lord, no matter what we are experiencing this morning that we carry with us, Lord, May you meet us in that place and may your spirit speak to us in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe by now you know that uh, I'm uh, married to Yvonne and we got uh, two lovely kids, Emmeline, who's seven going on eight, and Bryson, who in his language is, what is it? A, he's a little four, he says, which means he's almost four. So he's three going on four. They both have June birthday. So a little four. Uh, anyway, one of the things we love to do as a family is uh, on the weekends, 
pop some popcorn, get in comfy clothes, and throw on a movie. We love family movie nights. And uh, we often throw in a Disney movie or, or some other family-friendly animated film. And uh, uh, our oldest, Emmeline, is, uh, is, is full of energy. There's a beautiful picture of our family with my ponytail. I'm just kidding. That's not us. That's not us. We are, we are s- such a better-looking family. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Anyone guess what movie's up there? Does anyone know what movie that is? Sleeping Beauty, that's right. Yeah. So we, we throw on a movie like Sleeping Beauty, uh, some kind of kid's movie. And now what you got to know about Emmeline is she's, she's full of life and full of energy and, uh, and, and yeah, just a wonderful little kid. Uh, but she's got this sensitive heart and this sensitive soul. And so sometimes we'll be watching a movie, and even a Disney movie, and, 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 you know, there's the same basic script in most of these movies, right? There's a hero that, you know, the, the, the plot, the character's developed, and you, and you love this hero. There's a villain, and the character develops, and you despise this villain. Um, and then there's this clash, right? And oftentimes in these kids' movies, the villain almost wins, but the hero prevails, most of the time. Most of the time, that's the case, right? And so, Emmy has a sensitive heart, and in these movies, when, when that moment happens and something's troubling, oftentimes she'll, she'll burst out into tears, and she'll cry, because she's got this... <laughs> I did talk to her. This, this, anyway. So anyway, so she, she has a sensitive heart, and so oftentimes, it's when the villain almost defeats the hero that's when the crying happens. Well, one time, I'm in the other room, and all of a sudden, I hear Emmeline, my sweet daughter, crying. And she's crying, and, and, I, and I, 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 I call down. I say, honey, are you okay? Is everything okay? And she calls up from downstairs, the dog is dead! And she's devastated. And so I call back down. I say, Emmeline, just keep watching. It's going to turn out in the end, you know, because most of the movies turn out in the end. And she calls back, the movie's over. (laughs) And I'm like, what? And I go downstairs, and sure enough, the credits are rolling, and she's devastated because the dog and this movie had died. And so this, this Friday, we're, we're talking at the dinner table, and I'm, I'm trying to start where if I'm going to talk about my family, I, I get their permission first. My dad did that. So, um, so I'm asking Emmy about it, and like, teal, like tears are welling up. Like she's remembering this. She's like, yeah, I remember that movie. The dog got electrocuted. And I'm like, what kind of monster makes a movie like this? Anyway, it was Dove approved. Anyway. The dog, okay, if you want to know more about the movie, I can tell you, um, but I'm going to stop right there. I share all this because there's this basic plot line, storyline in the movies that we love as kids, right? And this narrative gets ingrained in us at an early age and then reinforced as we get older. Good conquers evil. The hero prevails. You do the right thing and good things will happen. Right, we reinforce this kind of narrative when we're trying to get our kids to follow our rules, like follow the rules and thing, good things will happen. Don't follow the rules and bad things, like right? this natural order of things. Some Christian traditions really lay heavy into this with material wealth, like the gospel, prosperity gospel, right? 
you give this amount and God will bless you. It's like, um, right, it's, it's this kind of Christian karma or more biblical language, you reap what you sow. And after all of that, we're left with this question, is that really how the world works? Is that really how the world works? Is, is that an accurate picture of reality? You do the right thing and good things will happen, hero prevails, and the scriptures seem to suggest that it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Enter Stephen in Acts 6 and 7. We're actually first introduced to Stephen in verse 5 when the church appoints the first deacons to care for the needs within the early church. And what we realize immediately from Stephen is this guy's an impressive dude, right? I mean, he is an impressive man, a man of high character. Stephen is a man of incredible character. We're told that he is known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Verse three, all the deacons who are appointed are full of wisdom in the spirit. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit in verse five. He has a servant's heart, we're told. Right? He's appointed as deacon, willing to care for the widows in the community. This is a good man. Additionally, we're told that he's a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people, verse 8. And not only that, but we're also told that he's a gifted teacher and preacher who has been going around to various synagogues outside Jerusalem teaching with unmatched wisdom, right? The synagogue leaders try to argue with him and they can't because he is so wise and gifted at speech. And then to top it off, we're even told that he has the face of an angel, right? Side note, a little tongue-in-cheek. It probably doesn't mean what you think it means. All that's to say is Stephen is an impressive man, Luke describes him really as this kind of model disciple, disciple of all disciples. He is one like Jesus. And as you follow the narrative, he becomes like Jesus in many ways, right? As I was thinking about this, I was, I was reflecting on how Luke describes Stephen reminds me of kind of how grandmas talk about their grandkids, right? Anyone? And like grandmas like brag up their grandkids like, well, let me tell you about my grandson. He is, you know. And I was thinking about my grandma, who uh, we're going to celebrate her 95th birthday uh, this summer in June. Um, but when I was growing up, she exaggerated. And she, you know, so she would tell her friends, oh, my grandson Jay Barrett is 6'3". I wasn't 6'3". So she's bragging that I'm not even, like, how tall I am, right? Thankfully, I hit a growth spurt and... Uh, May, I, I hit 6'3". That was my goal, to make sure my grandma's not lying to her friends, right? But I was just thinking about this, right? This kind of exaggeration. Stephen is kind of the epitome of everything his grandma ever hoped him to be. He is the epitome of doing all things right. He's a deacon. He's got a servant's heart. He's performing signs and wonders. On top of that, he's a gifted and passionate preacher who's wise. He does all the things, and he does them well. And he does more than all the things, and what's the result? Stephen is like the hero in the movie, right? And what's the result? Well, opposition comes. Opposition arose, verse 9. Opposition comes. Notice that the opposition in Acts chapter 6 only escalates against Stephen. It begins as a disagreement, right? They're, they're, he's teaching in the synagogues, and he's teaching about Jesus, 
And the synagogue leaders are hearing this and they're like, no, 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 no. But instead, they, they, in fact, not just no, 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 they try to debate with him, but they cannot compete with his wisdom that the Spirit gives him as he speaks. And instead of admitting that, they, that, that, that maybe he's onto something and recognizing that maybe this Jesus that he's proclaiming is the Messiah, no, they double down. And then they go and start finding people to, to speak falsely against Stephen and, and, and uh, you know, accuse him of blasphemy. These are not light charges that they bring. But that doesn't seem to really work in kind of the court of public opinion. So what do they do? They stir up the people. They stir up the leaders. They have Stephen arrested and brought to court to the temple. And they, they, he goes to court, right, in front of the temple leaders. And at, in, at court now, they bring about false witnesses who bring up charges and testify against Stephen in the court. And again, these are not light charges. They say this, this fellow never stops speaking against his, this holy place. He's talking about the temple. They're talking about the temple. He doesn't stop speaking against this holy place and against the law. He's talking about the Torah. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. They are bringing about the most serious charges that you could bring in first century Jerusalem against Stephen at this moment. He is speaking against the temple, God's holy place, and he's speaking against the Torah, God's law. These are condemnable charges. And what they reveal to us is really more about these synagogue leaders than about Stephen, right? Because it shows a certain level of anger and contempt. Stephen is messing with their religious systems, Stephen, what he's saying when he's declaring the gospel is messing with their way of life and to these synagogue leaders, he must be stopped at all costs by any means necessary, even unethical means. Let's just step away from Acts chapter six and seven for a second. Step into our culture. We look around and we see the same kind of mentality. Enemy, they must be stopped at all costs by any means necessary. And when we reach that point, when we reach that point, that's a sure sign of idolatry. Because how we go about fighting for the truth matters the means and the way about how we live and go about proclaiming truth matters. After all, Jesus says, I am the way. The way. By any means necessary, at all costs, is a strategy of the world. It is not a strategy of Christ's followers. Sometimes it's helpful to relate to the antagonist in Scripture as well. Let's step back into Acts chapter six and seven. Opposition comes, and how does Stephen respond? How does Stephen respond? He responds faithfully. He remains faithful. Again, we, we don't have time to carefully work through Stephen's speech where he seems to ignore a direct question. They say, are these charges true? They ask him a direct question. What does he not do? He does not say, no, they're not true, and here's why, and let me defend myself. That's not the first thing he says. No, instead, what does Stephen do? 
He doesn't focus his energy trying to fight the charges, clear his name, save his own life. Instead, he gives this brilliant speech retelling the whole biblical story, starting with Abraham and going all the way through the kings, right? And he, what is he doing? He's, his accusers are Jewish authorities who believe the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and he meets them right in the core of their beliefs. It's really brilliant, right? attesting to these things that they both hold dear. Now again, there's so much to unpack in this speech, but, but Stephen addresses the accusations against him. He does. The accusation that he speaks against the temple and the Torah. He, he, he talks about the giving of the law through Moses. That's a, the bulk of what he's talking about, affirming that this is how God's will and God's law was given. He he, agree, he affirms that these sacred spaces were, were commanded by God, talking about the, temp, the tabernacle with Moses and the temple in Jerusalem, but there's this brilliant twist in the second half of his speech. Stephen's points uh, in his speech is twofold. I've got them listed on the screen. The first thing Stephen's trying to do here is direct the people, these Jewish leaders, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that, that Jesus is, this Jesus movement, this reason that you're persecuting me, right, is not some new thing that is going counter to the law of Moses and God's work through the Hebrew people. No, it is a fulfillment of that movement. In fact, this Jesus movement is that next movement in God's grand narrative to bring salvation to this world. Jesus is the Messiah, the gospel. He's pointing them in their shared beliefs to Jesus, who he calls the righteous one. Things he's been preaching on for a long time. The second thing he does is he preaches with great boldness. And he is calling for repentance. What he says is he takes what they are accusing him of and saying, actually, you are the ones who are opposing the work of God in this moment. And he, and he draws on, just as those who opposed Moses earlier, just as those who opposed the prophets who, who proclaimed the coming Jesus, Messiah, you have done the same. And you have killed the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And now you oppose the Spirit's work that is happening right in front of you. That is a bold, bold thing to say in this spot. Stephen remains faithful by declaring the gospel and calling for repentance, and he does so with little regard for his own well-being. Stephen had to know if these religious leaders didn't have a miraculous change of heart in that moment, he had to know where this would lead. And we can't get into the mind of Stephen. Like, maybe he knew at this point his fate was sealed. We don't know. But he was bold in declaring the gospel. As we think about Stephen and his faithfulness, it's a reminder and a challenge to us. How do, how do we remain devoted to the most important thing we have to say, which is declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel? And how, what does it mean, and how do we remain faithful to declaring the gospel even when it isn't in our best interests? Most of us are not probably gonna be stoned like Stephen, at least here, right? But what does it mean to boldly declare the good news that Jesus Christ has come to bring salvation into this world even when it's not in our best interest. 
when you read Stephen's account, if, if you're familiar with Scripture, your mind goes immediately to what Jesus said in Luke's earlier account. Luke 12, verses 11 through 12. Jesus says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, who's living that in Acts 6, right? This is Stephen. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Stephen is a living example of what Jesus declared in Luke 12, verse 11 and 12. And the fact that Jesus' words were true for Stephen should be an encouragement to us that they will remain true for us when we find ourselves in positions that we find impossible that God will give us what we need. Stephen remains faithful. Our hero, disciple of all disciples, faces opposition, writes following the narrative, and then he remains faithful. What's going to happen? Death. Death. The Sanhedrin Jewish authorities heard these accusations that, that Stephen lays out, and they're not cut to the heart, right? They don't repent. They don't suddenly recognize that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the scriptures. No. They absolutely lose their minds. And then when Stephen declares and shares the vision that he's seeing of the Son of Man at the right hand of God the Father, they absolutely lose it. And they are overcome with rage. They cover their ears. They yell at the top of their lungs. And in a rage, drag Stephen away outside of the city. So a long distance where they stone this disciple, this hero, to death. At that moment, we're introduced to a man named Saul who approves of it all. We're gonna get to Saul in the weeks ahead. But a persecution, chapter eight at the beginning, a persecution breaks out at this point against the church in Jerusalem, Saul leading the way. And men and women at this point in the church's history are dragged from their homes in a similar fashion, brought to Jerusalem to stand trial where many of them would be convicted. Stephen, our hero, our model disciple, remains faithful at the face of opposition and he's brutally and unjustly murdered for it. What? This doesn't fit the narrative, it doesn't fit the script. This isn't fair. Stephen should not be murdered. He's our hero. He is the disciple that we look up to. He should be vindicated in this moment. He should be set free, right? This narrative does not fit the narrative of Disney movies that we show our kids, but it also doesn't fit the narrative that we so desperately want to believe so often about how life works, that when we do the right thing, when we're faithful to Jesus Christ, shouldn't things work out for us better than this? but it only takes a few years of life on this earth and you quickly realize that life is not that simple. 
doing the right thing is, is no guarantee to the good life. We're feeling that right now. Remaining faithful to Jesus Christ is no guarantee. It doesn't guarantee success in life. It, it doesn't guarantee our health or our safety of us or those that we love. It doesn't guarantee that, that my kids, as they grow up, are gonna call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior and give their life to him. It's not a guarantee. I mean, is it true that following God's good order, his law that he gives to us, the way that Jesus, does it, bring, does it lead to life? Well, yeah, it does. But what it does not guarantee is specific outcomes here on earth. And the scriptures testify to this truth, not just our experience, the scriptures. It's not only Stephen, but the countless others who are persecuted and killed for claiming Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's in the Old Testament when we, when we read about the prophet Job, who does everything right, and absolutely everything is ripped away from him. Do I know why I love scripture? Because it's real. It is not a fairy tale. It is not a Disney storyline. It's reflective of what we experience here in this broken world. We know this is truth. We know that there's no cosmic formula to solve as if we can correlate all our suffering to some bad choices. Jesus dismisses that with the blind man in John 9. We, we, we know that there's not some cosmic formula that if we do all the right things, all, everything's gonna work out because we've experienced disappointment, heartache, and loss. And when we look at it, none of it makes sense. The interesting thing about Stephen, though, is that Stephen is following Jesus. He's remaining faithful to the very end and it actually leads him to the same place as Jesus. Jesus Christ, his life led him to the cross. Stephen, it leads him to a hillside where he's stoned. And Luke doesn't want us to miss that point because <laughs> Stephen utters the same words Jesus utters in the Gospel of Luke. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing, Jesus says. See, Jesus says in his word, Luke 9, verses 23 through 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus is not about specific outcomes in this life. In fact, following Jesus is a life of self-sacrifice for the good of God's kingdom here on earth and for the good of those God has called us to love. Following Jesus no longer becomes about me and my life in this world. It becomes about dying to myself for the sake of others. And all that's true. And yet sometimes life happens and we can't Explain it. But what Acts chapter six and seven reminds us is that's not the end of the story. Death was not the end for Jesus. And this isn't the end of Stephen's story either. Death comes for Stephen, 
But what this story teaches us that even in the worst of circumstances that we can face here on earth, our God is good, our God is powerful, and our God remains faithful. In this moment of Stephen's own stoning, his, he's being murdered. It is the worst thing that can happen. Worst of outcomes in this life is that we die. God remains faithful. And God meets him in that moment. Stephen's filled with the Holy Spirit. His eyes are directed to heaven. And God gives him, in his marvelous grace, a vision of God's glory and Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Can you imagine receiving that kind of gift in that kind of moment? See, friends, I, I cannot stand here and guarantee specific outcomes in this life. even if you are everything that your grandma wanted you to be or bragged about to her friends. Even if you remain faithful to Jesus Christ your entire life, I cannot guarantee your health. I can't guarantee you great wealth. I can't, I can't stand here and guarantee you comfort and security. In fact, I can guarantee that trials will come. And the fact is that none of us is even guaranteed tomorrow. But what I can do is I can stand here and confidently and boldly guarantee this one thing, that no matter what you face, our God will remain faithful because his scriptures testify and promise that fact in his word. And I've experienced it and I'm guessing many of you have experienced his faithfulness even in the worst of circumstances. It might not be a vision, this grand vision that Stephen received. It might, it might be in more simple acts of kindness from friends. It might be a specific scripture verse or song that comes into your heart and mind in a specific moment. It might be that God speaks to you through his creation and I've heard testimonies of God speaking grace and love through his creation. It might be a word from the Holy Spirit but know this, that God is faithful and he will show up in our life. And here's the key. Stephen looked he looked up. We need to have eyes and hearts that are open to see those acts of faithfulness in the moment. And that's a gift of grace. We pray for that gift of grace. And finally, most important, most important, I can promise you this, that if you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've received that grace and faith that one day, when our life on this earth is complete, when we breathe our last breath, we will see what Stephen saw. We will see what Stephen saw, but it won't be a vision like it was for Stephen where one foot is stuck on earth and one foot is, is, is entering heaven. No, we will see the glory of God and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ as we enter salvation with our Lord and our Savior. We will see. 
And that is a promise that God gives us in his word that for those who live and die in the Lord are with Jesus for eternity. Our God remains faithful. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Again, Lord, uh, accounts of real life people experiencing the best and worst that life has to offer. And through it all, your word reminds us that you are faithful. And Lord, that doesn't mean that that we're always gonna have eyes to see your faithfulness. It doesn't mean that we're always gonna be able to understand or name how you are faithful in this moment, and, and that's okay. Lord, some of us here this morning might be experiencing the heartache of life in this world. For some of us here, we, we, in that moment, we might be able to see you and see your faithfulness at work. We praise you for that. Lord, for some, Lord, it might be really difficult in this moment because the pain is, is too great and the confusion is too great. But Lord, when it's hard for us to believe, Lord, we have the body of Christ to believe for us and to pray on our behalf. And so, Lord, we pray and we lift up those who are struggling in this way as well. But in all these things, Lord, may we remember the grace of the gospel, that we serve and we love a God who promises to come to us and has come to us in the most miraculous way in Jesus Christ. And may that, Lord, be a reminder of your faithfulness and your love to get us through just this day. You are faithful. You are good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.